Hello, and welcome to the Vitality Women Leading Audaciously podcast. I am Jennifer Helene, CEO of Purposeful Ventures, devoted to naturally innovative solutions for the realignment of humanity. We believe that stories connect us, dismantling the illusion of separation, causing healing. This interview will be 20 to 30 minutes long, and I look forward to sharing on Common Ground. Hello and welcome to Vitality Women Leading Audaciously. Today I'm super excited to welcome Tanya Luna. She is the co-founder and currently chair of Life Labs Learning. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm already feeling more vitality. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I really love to learn a little bit more about your background and the the creation of Life Labs Learning and and just um, how you got there and how you got here. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm terrible at being able to draw a linear path <laughs> between my present and my past, but okay. I will, I will try. Um, so, uh, background wise, I mean, I I'll give you a very quick way back back. So I I'm from Ukraine originally moved to the U S as a kid. And in many ways, I think that had made me predisposed to being kind of curious about human nature because there was so much of enculturation and having to fit in that I had to do very like thoughtfully and explicitly, we moved into a very kind of like xenophobic community. And so I just got to observe a lot and get curious and try to figure out like what makes it possible for people to come together in community. And so through that, I got really curious about psychology. I'm making it sound more linear than it is. I also thought I was going to be like a diplomat and a veterinarian and all sorts of stuff, but I got into really being curious about psychology, um, started doing research in the field of psychology, took a whole path down researching creativity, uh, the psychology of surprise that I, I wrote actually a book on called surprise. And that's how I met Leanne Renninger, who was my co-founder at Life Labs Learning. Um, Leanne had also been studying psychology, but through kind of, um, uh, a, a learning psychology and idea transfer lens where I was looking at more of, um, by that point when we met organizational psychology. So what does it take for people to flourish in the workplace, both as individuals and as teams and to create the kind of culture where organizational effectiveness is possible. Um, and so long story short, Leanne was offering these workshops that I thought were just amazing to the general public. I was doing consulting and advising for organizations and her company in the approach that she was taking to giving people what we thought of as like life's most useful skills just worked so beautifully with my passion for increasing organizational capacity. And so I joined Life Labs uh, eight years ago now when it was, you know, kind of a, a Just Leanne show. And my job was to kind of help her bring the tools that she was teaching to the general public to organizations and scale us as, as a company. Uh, and so by the time I shifted over last year, or, or I guess January of this year to the chair role, uh, we grew to over 2000 clients and about 150 employees and just got a chance to like build the systems and the the culture and the processes. So I had the the joy of getting a chance to build an organization myself. This is the largest organization at that point that I had built uh, and help all of these organizations across the world hmm. build their organizations too. So, so fascinating. wow, that's incredible. So satisfying, gratifying, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would say I'm one of those people that is really bad at being satisfied. 
<laughs> so typically my my mindset is like, yes, that was really great. Okay, what's next? Yeah. So yeah. I, I can say that there's like, I haven't achieved yet a state of like, and I have done good. I'm more like, okay, I've learned a bunch of stuff. Now let's do even more. more. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So you're writing, you're writing a book or you've written the book already? So uh, Leanne and I co-wrote actually two books together. One is on psychology of surprise. The most recent one is called the leader lab core skills to become a great manager faster. That's based on the research and the work that we've done at life labs learning. And then writing a new book on the psychology of power and how to distribute power well in the workplace. I think power is something that is misused a lot of time by parents, by pastors, by, you know, politicians, I mean, it's really, it's a really tricky thing to understand because we come into touch with it. I think at a young age, there's mm -hmm. a, around age seven or so that you, you start to notice you have power in your body and you can move your body. And then, then that power somehow either gets used for sports or it doesn't. Um, and then how do we channel it is something that our education shapes and our family dynamics shape. And then as an adult, we have this agency and, um, I just see a lot of power getting misused. And so I was just curious um, in your deconstruction of power, what you've kind of noticed as the tenants just fundamentally. Oh my gosh. I, I love that question. And um, I, I would love to answer it, but maybe just a super quick comment, if you don't mind on, on what you just said. Um, I, I think, so I very briefly studied child psychology. I'm more of a like kind of adult and organization re uh, oriented, but in my brief stint in child psychology, one of the things I studied as, as my thesis actually was assertiveness, early childhood assertiveness. And to your point, you know, there's this like awakening to what power is for, for kids. And also at the same time, like a, a, I think a cultural norm across the US and many other countries of reducing children's power, right? Like one of the areas of research that I was doing was on um, something we call the, the perfect green circle test, which I did not come up with by the way. Um, so don't, don't blame me for it. But the way that this experiment works is you ask three-year-olds and then later five-year-olds to draw you the perfect green circle. And then you criticize every attempt that they make. And so, you know, they draw this circle and they're so freaking cute and they're, they're drawing the circle and you're like, oh, that one has a lump in it. Draw another one. Or, oh, that one is a little bit messy. Draw another one. And you're doing this for three minutes. And typically this experiment is used to see if children have good emotion regulation. Can they handle the frustration? And I was looking at this like, why should they handle the frustration? Why would you want, would an adult just draw a green circle over and over and over after getting this really kind of unfair critique. And so the hypothesis I had was that actually early childhood assertiveness. So kids that would say things like, actually, I don't think there is a, such a thing as a perfect green circle, or can you draw one for me? Or I like this circle, right? Like not mean stuff. They're not like throwing the crayon, <laughs> right? They're like standing up for themselves. They're using their power even earlier than, than seven years old. My hypothesis was that this would be a predictor of positive outcomes later on in life. And it turns out that that was the case. So these kids that were showing this positive use of power early on also went on to do better in school in terms of their grades, in terms of their um, uh, their closeness with their friends and pro-social behavior, meaning we're doing helpful things in the classroom. So I just wanted to kind of double down on what you were saying, because I think that we don't, as a society, have this like good, I think, um, health and habits around that that line where 
we develop power as children into having really positive power as adults. And then later on, we get it as adults when it's been suppressed in us since our childhood. And then you're like, well, I don't know what to do with this. And I'm screwed up. And I, and I can talk about like the psychology of why we tend to screw it up. Cause there's a lot that goes on in our brains that causes that. But I think such an important point you made that point you made that it's like, <laughs> there needs to be this path between, you know, childhood power, adulthood power. So I'll pause there mostly also because I forgot your, your, your question. Cause I got so excited about what you said. Uh, yeah. And just to, just to kind of stick, stick with that for a moment. I mean, I just think that children led programs are just so effective. And if it, you know, when I hear about them and the children are so empowered and um, you know, giving children responsibility and, and, and encouraging them to be assertive, like this has been a huge part of my, my daughter's upbringing and she's incredible. And I'm just blown away by her every day. Um, it's just tricky. There's this thing called greenhouse parenting that's going on right now. That is really like suppression and like protection and, and like not letting the kids weather the storms and make the mistakes mm-hmm. they make. Um, and there's this huge disempowerment. Um, but I, I was talking about, and, and it actually leads into you because you were saying there's all these reasons why we abuse power be- or we misuse it because we don't understand it or we don't know how to use it. And it mm-hmm. sounds like your book is really helping us to to appropriate and use it mindfully. I mean, I'm just guessing. Yeah, yeah. And I I, I think that's a, a really good summary of it. And to now that I remembered your earlier question in terms of how to deconstruct it in the workplace. Um, so maybe I, what, what I'll start with is just a definition of power because I think most of us kind of assume we know what it is and then there's positive associations, negative associations. Some people like have a, a kind of a threat response to even the word. Um, my favorite definition of power actually comes from an amazing woman who in many ways history has kind of forgotten named Mary Parker Follett. And she wrote about power in the 1920s. And back when she was writing about it, she was saying things that are cutting edge today. <laughs> she was actually very accepted, very um, respected in her time, but somehow some of her writing has made its way into the kind of like negotiation research, but really not so much in the workplace. Anyway, her um, definition of power is just the capacity to get things done. So the more power I have, the more I can get done, the fewer limits I have to what I can achieve. So I think that's a that's kind of, first of all, an important starting place to just very simply say, what is power? When you have it, you can achieve things. So not surprisingly, when people are made to feel powerless, either through, you know, like a, an experimental paradigm where you go think about a time you were powerless, or if you just look at kind of uh, people who have less power in the workplace or in society, what you find is that a feeling of powerlessness is associated with um, uh, stress, anxiety, actually poor immune system function because of inflammation. So people who feel less power actually are less healthy, more prone to infectious disease. Uh, They take fewer risks and they are less likely to share their actual perspectives. On the flip side, you look at people who feel powerful, they're more likely to share their opinions. They're more likely to take positive risks. They feel happier, they feel healthier. Now, this is sort of the, the simple version of it, but where it gets complicated is if you have too much power, that causes negative things as well. So again, what research shows is that people who have too much power, we froze for a second there. <laughs> hope I, You're okay. I hopefully have enough power in my, in my uh, electricity because of the storm outside to get through this. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so people who have too much power are actually less empathetic, 
uh, less likely to hear other people's perspectives, um, more likely to believe that they deserve to be in charge because they're like, well, clearly if I have power, I'm better, uh, even if they didn't believe that in the first place. Uh, and then finally, they tend to take really dangerous risks because when we feel hopped up on power, we feel kind of invincible. So what's super important from an organization's perspective is Again, if you just define power as the capacity to get things done, if you want your organization to have the capacity to get things done, you have to get power right. And that means amplifying power and it means limiting overpower, right? So in those places where there is um, too much power concentrated with just a small number of people, there is both the necessity of distributing that and creating kind of checks and balances. Mm. Uh, and I can go into some of the tactics there, but that's the general philosophy is uh, you get power up and you get power down in the places where it's too high. And that actually results in more power for everyone. Because if I feel more powerful, if I was originally feeling, feeling powerless, I can create and contribute more. And that's if I was beautiful. too powerful, it can help yeah. them make their decisions and be more empathetic. That's fantastic. That's no, really helpful to understand that because we see that even in, you know, yoga communities or the church, right? Even when there's so, too much power, there's, there's corruption. It's like wherever humans get involved, there tends to be ego and then mm -hmm. some kind of, you know, um, you know, like you said, hyped up, I think you said on power or amped up. <laughs> I think it's said hopped up on power. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's what yeah, you notice, right? And it feels good, actually. I mean, I've been in those positions before too. Um, and then you have that abuse of power, which is uh, never good. But you see that in dictatorships, you see that in governments. I mean, it's just, it's so interesting. So what is the solution? Well, I think it starts with understanding that those people who abuse power aren't necessarily bad people. And I think that that is one of the kind of flaws in our current approach to helping people be more effective and compassionate and constructive in how they work together, we sort of take the stance that, oh, there are empathetic people and there are non-empathetic people. And if you're not empathetic, we should teach you to be more empathetic. But actually what the research shows is that while yes, you can develop more empathy skills, the single best thing you can do to reduce corruption and increase empathy and compassion is to distribute power. Um, so for example, it's not that there are some people who are just more likely to become corrupt. It's that most of us, when given too much power, just it's almost like we stop being able to see the world as it really is. Um, so I think that's that's number one. I know that's not a super tactical solution and I can get more into the tactical stuff if you want, but I think that's a, an important lens to take because if we keep going, oh, there are these awful people and you know this is just part of what humanity is and we're sort of broken, that is not, a, 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 I think, a, a helpful starting point because it's less about who these individuals are and more about what systems have we created to balance power effectively. Yeah, I love that. That's really helpful to be a little bit more empathetic. And I think we're moving into a time where we where we don't really want like the guru on the stage. We want the guide by the side. And yeah. I, I think as a society, we're, we're, we're gearing up for that. I know that the younger generation is definitely interested in that. Um, this kind of leveling of the playing field, so to say, which some people fear is going towards Marxism, or socialism, um, socialist society. Um, and on the other side, it's like, well, it's maybe not that. Um, it's actually maybe just a more of an even distribution of power. Yeah. Um, I think power is such an, I mean, I'm attracted to power. I don't know if everybody is, but I, I love it. I love when there's a storm outside or I love when there's like a meteor shower or some kind of like exciting, ecstatic event. You know, like, I, I don't know what it is. It, it really attracts me. I don't know if everyone's like that, but I'm definitely mm -hmm. like that. There is some research that uh, there are, you know, kind of 
core motivators where power is one that um, is like particularly, so I'm trying to remember, I think it's like the three factor motivation theory or something like that, which is looks at um, power, uh, affiliation, meaning relationship building or achievement as three kind of main drivers of motivation. And I've also always had the power one. And I've thought about that and like, oh my gosh, is that wrong? Should I not be kind of driven by power? The way I explain it to myself is I want to get a lot done. I'm really, I, I, I like coming up with ideas. I like seeing those ideas come to fruition. I love solving problems, helping people. I don't like not having the power to get that stuff to right. happen. Yeah. You know? And and so I think there's that, but the things like storms and and kind of like, you know, other, other facets of power. I also put that in the category of awe, um, mm-hmm. which is this feeling of like a combination of fear cries that we feel in the face of something so vast and so incomprehensible. And sometimes you feel it when you're looking at nature. Sometimes you feel it when you meet an individual and you're like, how is that possible that you're able to do that? To me, that's an incredibly inspiring emotion because it, it gives you sort of opens up the lid of what's possible Mm -hmm. to achieve. Um, So yes, it's probably in some ways personal. And I wonder if it's um, connected to your passion and and your mission. That's my positive spin on it. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) If you're also just power hungering, you're like, I need to. (laughs) I think awe is really accurate. I actually have a good friend uh, and researcher who just uh, published a book on awe. And it's, it's, it's exactly what you're describing. I current, I just moved to the ocean. Um, mm. and so I, I find myself completely awe-inspired every day by the power and magnitude of the ocean, the Pacific mm. ocean. It's, it's really extraordinary. Um, I'm making yeah. a connection in what you're saying that I never thought about before, which is, I wonder if awe, the sight of something so much more powerful than we are, actually has a really positive power reducing effect in us because we feel so powerless in those situations that, you know, that there's so much our research that shows that awe expands our sense of time and increases our generosity. So I wonder if it's like a, almost like a personal power, like check, you know, where it's like, nope, remember you're a teeny tiny human in this so. vast, unimaginable space. So yeah. I want bet those things are connected psychologically. Yeah, that's a really great point. I mean, I know that for myself, I have always said I have to go outside in, in nature, big nature every day just to feel my smallness. I've always said that. Uh, maybe I didn't think about keeping power in check, though. Uh, that's a very interesting. Do you think that um, so a lot of times like women right now are coming into powerful positions more so than ever before, even though we're still not quite there yet. Um, do you think that there's any kind of use or misuse or any, any distinctions you can make inside of that? Um, either females in leadership roles who are asserting a lot of masculine energy and, or, um, you know, how power is being used differently by men and women. Mm. Well, I think one of the sort of the the interesting things when you look at power psychology is like people who feel more powerful are more assertive, take more risks, uh, actually talk more and interrupt more people who feel less powerful or more empathetic or more cautious or more kind of communal. So part of me wonders to what extent are the behaviors we see show up in the workplace gendered or power related, right? So maybe it's that we think that it's a feminine thing to be more empathetic and to be more cautious, but actually it's because of this like socialization and reality of feeling less power. Because I can tell you in situations where I have more power, I have to be careful not to interrupt people. (laughs) It's like, it just starts to happen in my brain. And I've had, had a coworker who was like, Hey, you're doing it. And I actually asked him to like track how many times I was interrupting people. That's not not how I see myself. That's certainly not how I was brought up. And, you know, I I was socialized very much as, as a woman. And so I feel like 
one insight is that maybe what we think is gender is is power. Um, so I'll pause there because I also have thoughts on your like kind of masculine approach, feminine approach to power. But any any thoughts or, or reactions to hypothesis, potentially I, controversial hypothesis? Well, I, I really appreciate that hypothesis, actually, um, because it neutralizes this very charged gender topic that we have these days. And I honestly mm -hmm. would love to see us um, make choices based less on gender or race and more on qualifications. Mm -hmm. And that's becoming more and more difficult to do. Even they're even just deciding to, you know, uh, um, change grading policies in certain universities. I mean, it's really getting, um, it's getting crazy out there. It's just interesting to see how that's going to shape our future. But anyway, moving on though, that's just. No, I mean, I think you're right. And even just stepping back to say like, maybe, maybe the, the more practical or actionable conversation is around where can we amplify power for people who are currently or historically have not had enough of it? Yeah. And where can we minimize power? Not by taking, yanking it away from people, but, you know, for example, a really simple power sharing kind of, um, tool for the workplace is having equal turn taking in meetings, having that as a norm. So for example, saying, uh, okay, we're going to make an important decision instead of loudest voice in the room dominates, let's each take turns and you know you have two minutes or you can say pass. So that's like a power sharing model that doesn't take away power from individuals who would usually be maybe like me, the, the loud mouths. It actually amplifies the entire group's power because now collectively, we benefit from better decision-making, more creative and interesting ideas, more commitment and engagement. So yeah, I think there's something really, really um, thoughtful and innovative to what you're saying. Like, could it be not about the surface level identities, but the sort of degree to which each individual has power and where can we amplify, where can we uh, balance basically. It just seems so much more logical and so much more fair and and so much, you know, so, so honest. Because um, really, at the end of the day, it's about energy, right? And power is a certain defini a definition of energy. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. in, especially energy to achieve something. Yeah, and especially they're using the word amplify, right? It's like... <laughs> so Mary Parker Follett, and maybe this is getting a little bit to, to your other question. I'll, I'll just, I'll, I want to like amplify her, her, her wisdom from the 1920s. Um, so she made this fairly important distinction, which I think maybe connects to masculine, um, feminine, or, or stereotypically masculine, feminine, of power over approaches versus power with approaches power over approach is a very um is associated with a more masculine style of leadership i don't know if that's a truly a in any way a biological thing or is it just because that was sort of the norm in military settings and in industrial you know um organizations and and things like that power over essentially means we concentrate power at the top. We minimize how many people have, you know, explicit authority and power to make decisions or, you know, to, um, to control resources. And then we just like, you know, command and control kind of get people to do the things that we at the top want. And that's power over power with her, her construct was it is that it is not a coercive, but a coactive power where, my job, if I have power, is to amplify your power. Um, she used to say, you'd like this. It, the job of a leader is to uh, release the energy of a group or of a team. Mm -hmm. So I'm showing up not to go, not, I'm not not as a servant leader where I'm like, oh, it's, it's your job and I'm here to support you. But actually as through my power, I'm amplifying your power and through your power, you're amplifying my power. And I actually think that um, women are more socialized to more quickly adapt to that form of power where there isn't as much fear 
of giving up power and control unless you sort of go in with a bunch of imposter syndrome where you're like, no, I think power is that one where I'm supposed to be tough and tell people what to do. And if I don't have all the answers and I'm doing a bad job, what we see back to our research at Life Labs Learning is great leaders, regardless of their gender identity, they are demonstrating this power with model particularly we're seeing this now in times of uncertainty and change and the need to bring together people who are so different and who are you know in different geographical places and this this kind of we share power and we build up each other's power model i think women have an advantage um because the years so we're sort of socialized to be more communal and i think it's, yeah. it's time that's to right use- i totally agree i think we're demanding it right now i love that paradigm to be Mm -hmm. frank it's just so it just feels so open it feels so easy and at first I was thinking about what you were saying I was thinking about um how sometimes I know we think dictators are terrible like we we, we're very negatively (laughs) we very negative United States against dictatorships um and at the same time um, we need leadership Mm -hmm. and leadership is important for organizations for groups for families for communities leadership is is necessary um, and this antiquated model, so to say, of power over, I'm looking at it as an antiquated model, even though we're still functioning inside of that today, um, is somehow yeah. sometimes necessary, especially when knowledge, the knowledge base is not adequate, because not everybody is born a leader. They're just not. There mm-hmm. are appointed leaders and there are anointed leaders, mm-hmm. and not everybody is a leader, but everybody can everybody has power and everybody has the potential to be empowered and to do the best they can do at whatever they do. Yeah. And that's why I love this uh, amplification of Mary's work. Mary is her name, right? Yeah. Mary Parker followed. Yeah. Yeah, Mary, exactly. Uh, and it, it, it's really, it's really, I think where we're headed. Um, but not from a, not from a, like, let's get nowhere and do nothing and just keep, you know, in this inertia, not really, right. it's not the right word, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a circular conversation and energy. It's like, we, I, we still have to move forward. Uh, absolutely. And and I think what you said is so key because the sort of dictatorship at the extreme power over model assumes that we can only get things done by everyone abdicating their power to the leader because the leader knows best and the leader has the most, you know, skill and uh, ability and resources. And we're just not in that situation anymore. We're hopefully across more and more countries, we're seeing so much capability of you know, more and more and more people to be able to apply that power. So now the leader's job is no longer, hey, put all your trust on me and I got this. Now the leader's job is to go, how do I create the conditions where the individuals who I'm, you know, responsible for, you know, building up and and achieving our, our goals, where their power is put to good use. That doesn't mean we all go around being like power, 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 I get what I want. But <laughs> I really, another thing that, that Mary Parker Follett would write is the that purpose is the invisible leader. So mm-hmm. ideally as a leader, I'm helping us set. Isn't she amazing? Like, okay. why aren't we her more? Oh my gosh, <laughs> right? So like, purpose is the invisible leader. Oh. Yeah. And as a as a, an appointed leader or anointed leader, my job ideally is to help us articulate what is our purpose and, and help create the conditions whereby we are moving toward that purpose using distributed power because- we now are in a place where people just have so much of that capability that that one one person or small number of people at the top telling everyone what to do is just it's clashing with the capability of our 
you know, civilization. Yeah, completely. So uh, people can find this book. It's it's published. It's out and about. It's out. No, not yet. So I'm I'm in the midst of writing it. So look look for it next year. But this year, the book that's out is called The Leader Lab: Core Skills to Become a Great Manager Faster. It is still very much based on the principles of sharing power, but it gets down to like the very um, concrete tactics that people in management roles can use to build up the capacity of the teams and the people that they lead. So the leader lab is, is where to start for now. Oh, that's so great. Oh, thank you for that. Cause, uh, these ideas are so important for us to embody. Yeah. So, um, we always go back to nature, or at least I do. I always go back to nature to learn about everything, um, including power dynamics. And so, um, before we started the interview folks, <laughs> I was talking to her about her animals. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Kanya has 16 animals. Is that right? Yes. Well, I, I share my home with 16 animals. Yes. They, <laughs> I have them, they have me. <laughs> okay. I and just in animals. case anyone's like, oh my gosh, should we call animal control? They have <laughs> 30 acres. They are, they are, they have plenty of space. They are wonderfully cared for. <laughs> uh, yeah. But there's a power dynamic in animals, right? So I've I, learned so much about power through watching. Right. Pigs. Yeah. I mean, tell me more. I don't know anything about pigs, but I know about dogs and cats and it's fascinating. What I will say is, oh my gosh. I'm going to try to contain myself because I'm so excited that you asked that question. So for the longest time, there was this accepted belief that most animals have a very strict hierarchy. So in the dog world, there's the, there's a hole for a long time. It's now being kind of, it has, has since been, um, you know, challenged and has become going out of fashion, but this belief that you have to be like the alpha dog and you have to prove your power and you have to bring down the power of your dogs. Otherwise they won't respect you and there will be chaos. Um, and it's based on actually faulty research uh, on wolves kept in that uh, the kind of the dog training world extrapolated findings from that were never real. So this power over approach in the animal world, you see it in dog training, you see it in pig pig training believe it or not that's a whole thing in um i don't know much about horses but my understanding is that even in the horse training world it's now shifting more with so now we're looking in the animal at least human animal interaction human animal animal and animal and non-human animal interaction world much more it's not call this but power with approach where you go how do i build a relationship with this dog uh you know same with the pigs i can't tell you how many times people are like oh pigs are so hierarchical there's one pig at the top and then they establish dominance and everyone falls in line and i'm watching them with my own eyes and i'm like it's so much more complicated than that they have like we have one family of pigs where it's a mom dad and their three sons <laughs> and so i get to watch this amazing family dynamic and they've been together seven years before I ever met them. So I'm just a newcomer to their lives. <laughs> and I get to watch, you know, how power shifts, how like sometimes power comes from, you know, aggression. Like they're like, get away from my food. Sometimes it comes from affection. Like, hey, you can snuggle with me. Sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll like shift who's who's kind of getting along and fighting with whom and sleeping and snuggling with whom. So it's just given me so much more respect for how dynamic and fluid power is across all species. And this like, attachment we have to power over and seeing the world in that way just really um, deprives us, I think, from seeing how fluid and dynamic the nature of power is. Yeah. What you're describing is really helping me understand that the dynamics inside of it also are driven by our desires and our emotions and our ability to self-regulate. That's very interesting. 
Yeah, it is. It is complex, yeah. but there is a, there is a good, like there is an alpha though. I have to say in the dogs, we have three dogs and there's <laughs> definitely an alpha and there was an alpha change of power recently. And that was, that was really intense. Oh, really? Yeah. There was a big dog fight and one of the dogs is getting, getting really old. And, um, I mean, we were afraid the dog was going to die actually. And these are dogs have been friends for years. It was just really bizarre. Wow. Um, yeah. But so 16 animals, you've got a husband, you are, um, you know, working on your book. Like how do you achieve balance inside of it all? Oh man. Um, I will say I have for the time being, this has been a question of mine. I don't know, since I've always done too many things, this has been like I, literally fourth grade by, by the time I was in fourth grade, I was like, I have too many things. I was like, president of the student council and like starting clubs. And I had, I had like the power girls club that I, I printed certificates for everyone to be members of the power girls club. I mean, I really don't know what it is with my brain, but I've never been at one point in high school. No, it was in college. I used to carry around a die in my pocket, like a six sided die to decide which of the six things I was working on to do at any given point, because I was so overwhelmed with how many things I was, I was doing. <laughs> so this is my like many, many attempts over many, many years to figure out what, what works for me, where I've landed is somehow the term balance just gives me too much anxiety because it feels like I'm supposed to have like the perfect amount on each side, you know? So I've been thinking more about kind of harmony that's for whatever reason balance, you know, has, has resonated with me more. And I've done a better job, I think with that frame of shifting away from how many items can I fit into how many hours, you know? And, and I used to be like, okay, I will at 2 PM, I'm going to run to the basement, give my husband a kiss. Cause he feels neglected. If I have too many meetings back to back. And then once I've given him a kiss, then I'm going to go and I'm going to pet the pigs. And I'm like, just over scheduling my time in an attempt to balance. Um, now I think what has been serving me is more of a, Hey, what do I need right now? Do I need, what, what do I need to, to get my energy back up? And so I will think less about how many items can I fit into a period of time and think more what will set me up to feel energized by the end of the day, or even like, honestly, throughout the day. Um, And somehow that as a guiding question has been a lot more helpful than my attempts at like spreadsheeting and cracking the code to the perfect distribution of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I can, I can say more about that, but that's kind of the general shift that I've taken. That's a lot really of it has cool. been taking things away uh, and saying, you know, is this serving me? Is this giving me energy? Or is this depleting energy? Am I actually even the best person to do it? Recognizing the extent to which spending time with my husband, spending time with the animals, you know, having focused deep work is, is like re-energizing in a way that then allows me to do so much more, so much faster. Oh, I love that. It's so intuitive and it's uh, it's really the honest truth. Not everyone is available for this level of conversation, but I know that for myself and my relationships, I'm always asking, so what, what is it we want to achieve? Like, what is it we want to create? And oftentimes yeah. the word for me is harmony. Mm. harmony encompasses peace it encompasses like a kind of love it's a kind of quality of love and when you think about i want to create harmony we we choose the foods differently we choose to sleep patterns differently we choose the other moment you go and kiss your husband is totally different than you scheduling it in because it's like you're intuitively like you know presencing you're you're feeling into you know dot 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 right so it's um 
it's really a beautiful way to drive any kind of action, right? It's that mm -hmm. tension of harmony. Um, and when that holds, when harmony holds it all, I mean, it's just it, the experience, the way of being must just be so, I don't want to say, blessed, oh my gosh. but you know, <laughs> like an aliveness, right. An aliveness in a way, um, versus a spreadsheetness. Um, I'm going to squeak in, squeak in, sneeze. No, why can't I find the word? squeeze in I said squeak and I said sneeze squeeze is the is the winner uh one more Mary Parker Follett thing <laughs> I'm like her ultimate fangirl right now because I'm just uh -huh. like reading all of her stuff so one of the things she she says is she says you know we make the and I'm, I'm paraphrasing um many of us are under kind of the delusion that you can just unify and then be done unifying and that is for anything whether that's relationship building or kind of unifying the imbalances within ourselves. And what she says is that there's no such thing as achieving unity. There's only the perpetual process of unifying. And so when, that's how I think of harmony as well. I think I used to think of it as like, okay, if I just stop doing this, I'll be fine. If I just schedule this, you know, 15 minute break, then I'll be fine. And it doesn't, it's, there's never a, at least for me, you seem more kind of uh, more enlightened <laughs> in this space, but at least for me, what has been soothing is to recognize that I will never, I will likely never reach a finished point of yeah. harmony. It is a dynamic process. And so to, to give myself grace to keep harmonizing versus attempt to reach harmony has also been really helpful. Incredible. I love it. I mean, unity is such a big, big, big point for me and just in general with my yoga practice with my faith with um so many things um so with that in mind that's just um that's just magnificent so much wisdom so <laughs> many um deep deep lines of meaning in, in our conversation today i i I don't really want it to end, but I know I really, really appreciate it. I, I feel like you are really wonderful at both pulling into like the philosophy and the embodied piece and the practicality. So that's my favorite kind of conversation. Ah, Tanya. Yeah. And so um, in that spirit, I just want us to like really hold in our hearts, everyone listening, um, how we can infuse our lives with more and more harmony. Um, mm. That's, that's a perpetual um, practice of, of, of unity because that really is what revitalizes ultimately i mean because when you're feeling low and you're really tired i mean what is the thing that you go to for for re-energizing yourself is it spending time with the animals is it uh, what is it for you yeah i think um so i <laughs> the spreadsheet part of my brain actually got an app for a while i think it was called like Oh, I, I wish I could remember it. I'm sorry. I can't, but it was an app where I would like literally track my emotions and go, which of the things that I'm doing is giving me energy versus taking energy away. Interesting. <laughs> That's a huge uh, foundation actually of my work is that, oh, yeah. yeah, thinking things and putting things into our bodies that give us more energy as opposed to taking energy away. That's a foundational so yes. that was huge for me because I was just so wrong about <laughs> what I thought was, was, you know, was, was good for me. So where I've landed is, uh, I've just been incredibly grateful to have a marriage. We're going on 13 years now that still feels like just so fresh and, and child, like there's like a child, like, like playfulness and, and joy, but only if I don't schedule <laughs> running over and kissing my husband, but you know, he is, he's my best friend playmate, you know, and, and like, I think savoring that connection. And what I mean by that is not just like, Hey, how's your day? Okay. Bye. But like really, um, 
relishing the, the the fortune, the good fortune of being able to be with this person, um, mm. I think has been just like into it, you know, is so incredibly important for me. Um, petting pig bellies. I don't know what it is about the, like pigs love belly rubs. <laughs> And so I will, you know, 2020 was incredibly difficult for our business, for Life Labs Learning. We got through, we actually grew during that time, but I was the sweatiest, most stressed I ever think I've ever been in my entire life. And, and like the pigs just saved me. I would go, okay, I have many decisions to make. There are budget concerns, there are strategy concerns, there are marketing concerns. I'm just going to sit with the pigs and I would like pet the pig bellies and it is one of the best medicines and they love it and I love it and it's wonderful. And then writing. I, I developed a practice of writing every single day, no matter what, have to write. And that is wow. like, you know, there's so much research on that. And and I mean research aside, it's just it's a wonderful practice of like unifying with yourself. You know, we think of ourselves as one person. And I think there's just so many voices and components of who we are, not to mention the way that all the different things that happen to us and the people we interact with act on us. And I think of writing as the like integrating, unifying that happens. So well, I really that's saying that, thank you for saying that I, I need to start writing. It's, it really can be so life-changing. There's a psychologist um, and linguist named James Pennybaker who found that um, the practice of writing for just 15 minutes is one of the best um, uh, healing practices for trauma, um, for anxiety, for depression. Hmm. They actually did this one study where they found they had uh, participants in this experiment write just write like free write for 15 minutes um, and it was people who were unemployed for a really long time and they had a condition of people who were unemployed that didn't get the writing exercise the people who are unemployed who did the writing exercise they got out of unemployment so much faster than the people who didn't do the writing exercise that james pennybaker and his team actually canceled the experiment because they felt it was unethical not to tell the other group how powerful this exercise was and to their surprise, what they said was like, we'll teach you how to do this. It's very simple, but you know, we'll hold a session to help you do this exercise. Almost no one showed up because people didn't believe it. They were like, what writing is going to help me get a job? But there's just something so powerful about getting those thoughts out of our heads. And again, being able to integrate and being able to tell, change the story we're telling ourselves about what's going on um, that, you know, this is incredibly undervalued practice. Yeah, I just never saw the value really. And so you're helping to remind me because everyone's been telling me for my entire life, like you need to write, like mm -hmm. you're a prolific writer, like, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah like, whatever, you know, I just I don't I'm like, what's the point? Like, who's going to read it? You know, like, <laughs> no, but the rule is you, no one's going to read it. No right. One's read yeah. It. Well, then of course, my sister read my, you know, journal or, you know, <gasps> you know what I mean? Like someone read it, you know, and then I was like, you know, whatever. That, yeah. Oh, your sister. Yeah, no, no. And I bet her too. <laughs> not the baddie here, actually. I was way worse. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I have an older sister. It's uh, no judgment. Um, but, but yes, it is, especially if you've been burnt before. But, you know, whatever, like write and throw it out, write and delete it. It's, it's the keeping it is not the important part. Although I will say that writing and keeping it, I have just a Google Doc that every once in a while I'm like, when I die, someone is going to read all of this and <laughs> until, but then I won't, hopefully won't care. But the, I've just been writing for such a long time that it's like everything that's in my mind. But one thing that I have found useful about keeping it is I'll sometimes notice, oh, I'm writing the same thing for the third time. I'm complaining about the same thing for the third time. I'll literally do a search and go, how long have I been complaining about this? And, it, and it's like, you know, staring me in the face. And then I'm like, oh, oh. I got it. 
change this. There's no, yeah. this has been, this is not a short-term problem. I love that. Yeah. Thank you for the reminder. Well, this is by far like the longest interview I think we've ever done for Vitality. Oh, I'm sorry. No, don't be. It's been like so exciting. I hope the listeners have been as, a, as into it as, as we've been, because this has just been so, so wonderful. So Tanya, thank you so much for being with us. Um, where should people go to learn more about your book, your work? We'll have it in the show notes, but for those who are just listening right now, where can they go? Yeah. So uh, for the Leader Lab book, just anywhere books are sold, it's called the Leader Lab. Lifelabslearning.com is our website. If you're thinking about bringing in training, increasing capability for your managers, for your team, um, the, the organization there is focused really on the skill building component. And tanyaluna.com, if you just want to get on the list to find out when the power book is coming out, it's going to be September of next year. And it doesn't even have a name yet. So if you have ideas for a name, send them my way. I love that. This was Tanya Luna, L-U-N-A, um, T-A-N-I-A. So just you for got it. Thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. And um, such a joy. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for listening to Vitality Women Leading Audaciously. Please contact me if you're interested in cultivating more vitality at jennifer-helene.com on the contact page. If you know this episode would be of value to your community, please share it on all of your social media channels. Maybe you are a successful working mom who would like to share your story on this podcast. Please visit podcast.jennifer-helene.com backslash podcast dash guest to apply. And you might know someone who would be an ideal guest. If so, Tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag Vitality Women Leading Audaciously. I absolutely love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team in getting the word out about how to realign humanity with purpose. Purposeful Ventures is a company that is helping moms succeed in revitalizing their lives, relationships, businesses, and health. Please join a more personal conversation by working directly with me, joining my private Facebook group or one of my programs. This is Jennifer Helene, and thanks for spending your precious time with me.